During World War I and World War II, Native American U.S. soldiers called code talkers were one of the most powerful weapons the U.S. had to aid the Allied forces to win both wars. The more famous ones were the Navajo code talkers in World War II, but there's a very interesting story that led to the Navajo people and language being the ones to be used primarily in World War II. The first known instance of Native Americans serving as code talkers under fire was actually the, Cher uh, the, Cherokee, the Choctaw people with an American infantry division uh, alongside the British Army during World War I. Also during World War I, an American army captain overheard two of his soldiers speaking in the Choctaw language. In a short period of time, 14 soldiers of Choctaw descent were used to, tr to be trained to use their language as the basis for a code language. During the, the last large push by the Germans in France, that, the, that division started using this Choctaw-based code language. Within 24 hours, the tide of the battle had turned in the Allies' favor, and within 72 hours, the German army was in full retreat with the Allies in attack. In fact, Germany recognized how impactful code words based on Native American languages were to the U.S. war effort that before World War II started, they actually sent 30 anthropologists to the U.S. to try to learn these Native American languages and make them useless and being used as code by the U.S. before World War II even started. However, the wide expanse of types of Native American languages, along with the numerous dialects, proved too difficult for these anthropologists to get a grasp of. Nonetheless, once the U.S. found out about the Nazi effort to figure out these Native American languages, they pulled back from their use of them during, world, uh, during Europe during World War II. But at the beginning of World War II, a civil engineer for the city of Los Angeles named Philip Johnston and a veteran of World War I first proposed to the U.S. Marine Corps the use of the Navajo language to base a code upon. Johnston was the son of a missionary to the Navajo people and was actually raised on a Navajo reservation. Why the Navajo language? As Johnston was well aware of, Navajo was still an unwritten language at this point, was only spoken on the reservations of the American Southwest, and one estimation says that fewer than 30 non-Navajo people could understand the language at the, outs on the, at the onset of the war. This fact blew my mind when I learned about this. At the time of World War II, the required time for encoding, transmitting, and decoding a coded message by a machine was 30 minutes. That was a requirement. The machine had to be able to do that in 30 minutes. Johnston stated, staged a test under battle conditions that demonstrated that Navajo men could do the same exact thing, encoding, transmitting, and decoding a three-line English message in 20 seconds. 20 seconds. During the famous Battle of Iwo Jima in the Pacific Theater of World War II, Major Howard Connor, a Marine signal officer, had six Navajo soldiers working around the clock during the first two days of battle. These men sent and received over 800 messages, and this is crazy, all without one error. Not one of them had an error. After the Allied victory in Iwo Jima, Major Connor stated of these heroes, were it not for the Navajos, the Marines would never have taken 
Iwo Jima. Now keep all that in your mind. The last couple of Sundays, we sp- we spent, uh, we're spent hearing about what God is doing through the ministries that God has blessed us with and has entrusted to our stewardship. I just want to give a, a public and formal thank you to all those ministry leaders who presented their ministries. They did a great job, didn't they? And all those who... <laughs> And all those who signed up uh, to help uh, strengthen those ministries. Three Sundays ago, when we were still in 1 Corinthians, we talked about God's hidden wisdom. The wisdom that we will never understand that goes hand in hand with his perfect will for the universe and for us as individuals. There will be events that happen in our lives that there are no reasons or that there, that there are reasons for, but there are reasons determined by God from eternity past that even if explained to us by God himself, we just were not built to understand. Our peace comes from knowing the one who does have his reasons and knowing that some of those reasons we may just never get. In our opening this morning, There was a group of people who understood a certain language, but only they understood it. Only when they used it and divulged it to who was supposed to know it, only then was it understood, right? That wisdom remained hidden until the agent who understood it chose to reveal it in a way that it could be understood by others. In the same way, there is some hidden wisdom of God that will forever remain hidden from us by God. But there is also some hidden wisdom that was hidden for a certain period of time that was then revealed by God. But like the Navajo Code, it had to be revealed by one who fully understood it and then initiated the revelation. Just like uh, what, what was key to the revelation to the Navajo Code, could not be stumbled upon and all of a sudden known, this wisdom of God cannot simply be stumbled upon through human pursuit and discovery. It must be initiated and revealed by the only agent who does understand it. So we're going to talk about that agent this morning. The first point that we come to in our passage this morning, if you brought your Bible with you, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you didn't, that's fine. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn there. I I want us all to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to be starting in verse 10. and And we read this. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things even the depths of God. Paul doesn't make the Corinthian believers wait around for very long before he divulges who this agent who reveals the formerly hidden wisdom of God is. And we read in verse 10, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. According to one biblical scholar, this was a radical statement to make in the world of ancient Judaism because most of the Jewish teachers taught that the Spirit of God was not active in that time period. You could have a certain disposition, a certain attitude, a certain spirit about you, but not the active work of the actual Spirit of God. That's what the Jewish teachers taught at that point. If you think about it, that statement would be considered just as radical in our culture today, couldn't it? Many people today don't believe the Holy Spirit exists, let alone that he is actively at work. 
But you know what? This goes hand in hand with what Paul has already talked about earlier on in this letter that we've already covered. When he says, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, say that all the Jewish teachers were teaching, the Holy Spirit wasn't actively at work. He's chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, the teaching that was going on at the time, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Look at that. God chose to reveal his wisdom in his son, both fully God and fully man, a man who both the prophet Isaiah and Paul described as a nobody that everyone despised. Then he chose to reveal that wisdom, especially to those the world had kicked away. The dysfunctional, the sinful, the terminally sick, and the hopeless. How did he reveal that wisdom? By an agent who, whom was considered inactive and non-existent for all intents and purposes at that point. Even the agent chosen by God flew in the face of everything that made sense to the world. Humans could not stumble upon it themselves with their own wisdom as their foundation. It was designed to be impossible through that means. That's why, as we saw a few Sundays ago, some understood Jesus' parables. And what else? Some didn't. Some didn't understand his parables. Only those who God chose to open their spiritual eyes got the truth in Jesus' parables. Now, if we stop and think about this verse... It doesn't quite make sense with the rest of what we know about God from Scripture, right? We know from Scripture that all three persons of the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are one. They are one in substance and being. So since that's the case, why does it seem like the Holy Spirit, who is God, look at, look at the verse with me here, chapter 2, verse 10. Why does it seem like the Spirit, who is also God is searching for things, searching the depths of God. Shouldn't he already know them since he himself is also God? Well, that's a good question. This verse seems to imply that God the Spirit didn't have the knowledge at some point and had to actively and tirelessly investigate and research the depths of God. But according to one biblical scholar, the word used here for searches that we have in the English and the way we understand it today is not at all an accurate understanding of the word in the Greek. In the Greek, the word translated as searches in the English is meant to describe the end result of what would normally, as humans, be led to by research and investigation as we as humans know it. The end result of that. It's meant to describe the thoroughness, the fullness, and the complete accuracy and knowledge and understanding of the depths of God. He has it as if we were to search as thoroughly. He already knows it. That's what Paul is getting across by this word. By this word. There wasn't some kind of long, arduous process by which he arrived at it. He knows, and what he's describing is the thorough and accurate and complete accuracy and understanding the depths of God. So because the Spirit already has a completely thorough and accurate understanding of the depths of God's will... He is able to thoroughly and accurately reveal them to us as human beings. 
Now this leads to a follow-up question. Why didn't God the Father simply reveal them to us as humans? Why is there a middleman? Because of the distinct jobs and relationships that the three persons of the Trinity have with both unbelieving and believing humans. Now this goes hand in hand with what we already know about the distinctiveness of the three persons of the Trinity. We see throughout Scripture that just because each member of the Trinity is God and therefore equal in status and substance, it doesn't mean they all do the same thing. We know from Scripture that there are three distinct persons. Who are they? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons with different jobs that they take care of throughout redemptive history. Because we're mainly talking about the Holy Spirit as the agent of God's revelation, we'll only focus on His distinction from the Father and the Son. As one biblical scholar noted, Isaiah 48.16 says, Come near to me, listen to this. From the first I have not spoken in secret. From the time it took place I was there. And now the Lord God has sent me and His Spirit. If we look at this verse in its context, earlier on we read, Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel whom I called. I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. Surely my hand founded the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. So who is the I, the me, and the, and the my referring to in verses 12 through 13? Obviously God, right? So when we read further on in verse 16 that the Lord God or, the, or the, uh, the God the Father and His Spirit are accounted for, who then is the me in verse 16? If God the Father and the Spirit are accounted for. Jesus, the Son of God. The Messiah, the de Deliverer, the Son. We see here that God the Father sends both God the Son and God the Spirit to accomplish His will. An essential part of the biblical trinity demands a crucial understanding about it. And that is this. While each member of the trinity is equal in being, two are subordinate in role. And I want to make that very clear. Just in role. They're equal in being, but two are subordinate in role. Subordination is not the same as inferiority. For inferiority has to do with being while subordination has to do with office and operation. One simpler way to begin to understand this is, again, this isn't a perfect way to understand this, but is the illustration of a common office environment. There's the corporate officer, the regional manager, and the local manager, right? The corporate officer can fire or hire the regional manager. The regional manager can fire or hire the local manager. That doesn't mean that any one of them are inferior or superior to any of them as human beings, but their offices of operation come in a certain order, right? The Father is the one we read in Scripture as being over all, and as we'll read further on in 1 Corinthians 15, when all things are subjected to Him, the Father, then the Son Himself also will be subjected to the One who subjected all things to Him, so that God may be all in all. God the, God the Son has subjected Himself to God the Father, and will continue to do so. The Father is referred to as the Holy One in the Bible, right? The prophet Isaiah. Uh, in Isaiah we read, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty 
who because of his holiness had to turn his back on even the Son when the Son hung on the cross and took the sins of the world upon himself. It's written in Scripture how if we try to do anything with the full glory of God the Father, we would be instantly vaporized, wouldn't we? Instantly. The Father also has the plan. We read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, just as He chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. God the Father is the one who did the choosing. He's the one who has the plan. The Son doesn't even know everything about the Father's plan, does He? What's, major, what's one major part that the Son doesn't know about? When He's going to return, right? And when exactly He's going to return for His church. We know this about the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in whose name? Jesus' name, right? So the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. We also read this uh, from John 16, 7. This is Jesus speaking. If I do not go away, the Helper, or the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So who's the Holy Spirit being sent by? And the Father, right? We read both God the Father and Jesus are sending the Holy Spirit. In that way, a completely biblical understanding of the Trinity would be the order of one, the Father, two, the Son, three, the Spirit. That's why we baptize in that order. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Again, they are all equal in being as God, but their offices are different. In our common office illustration, which still fall, like I said, which still falls very short of a full understanding of the Trinity. The Father is the corporate officer who determines what the regional manager should do in the direction that the corporate officer is taking the company in. With me so far? Okay. <laughs> the regional manager or the son follows the orders the corporate officer sets forth for the plan he's come up with and in turn sends the local manager or the spirit to lead the regular employees, who's who? Us, the regular employees, in following the direction and plan set forth by the corporate officer. You still with me? Okay. What am I getting at? Where the Trinity differs greatly from the common office illustration is that the local manager, that is the one who is most closely acquainted with us as the regular employees, perfectly and accurately and thoroughly knows the hidden depths of the plans of the overall one calling the shots. A regular employee in a common office illustration, a regular employee will probably never see FaceTime with a corporate officer. And we as humans will never see FaceTime with God the Father this side of heaven. But what we do have is the next best thing. The wisdom of God the Father revealed to us through God the Son and communicated to us through God the Spirit who knows the depths of God the Father. It's only theologically logical that the agent of the revelation of God's wisdom embodied by Jesus would be the Holy Spirit. It's only logical. After all, He is the one who is the intercessor between humankind and the Father. 
Paul explains it this way elsewhere. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to what? According to the will of the Father. It's a perfect Trinitarian relationship. For the Spirit has a thorough, full, and completely accurate understanding of the depths of the Father's wisdom, and therefore is the only one who can reveal that to us. That's exactly what Paul says next in verse 11 uh, of our passage this morning. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except God. The Spirit of God. We as humans only understand each other as humans because the spirit of emotion, empathy, and feeling that God put into us. We all have that common to us, and it's through that that we can communicate and display different things to each other. Even if we didn't speak the same language, we can still communicate different things to each other, can't we? Because we have that same human spirit, which enables us to understand each other, understand that human spirit, understand emotion and empathy and sensitivity. In the same way, the only way for a being to thoroughly understand the depths of the most holy father and be able to communicate them to most unholy humans is through God himself, namely the Holy Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit has such a deep relationship within us, stemming from the fact that He literally indwells us, that He can intercede on behalf of us to the Father when we don't even know what we're feeling, what we want, or what we should say. And by the, by the way, according to these verses in Romans, that intercession on our behalf, this intercession on our behalf is perfect because the Spirit intercedes according to what? According to the perfect will of God. And what does the Spirit have a completely perfect knowledge and understanding of? The will of God. See, it all works perfectly together. That's what leads us to our second point this morning. So we talked about the agent. It's the Spirit who knows, has a completely thorough understanding of the depths of God's wisdom. He's the one who reveals them to us. And how does he do that? He does it through his association with us, literally indwelling us. Verses 12 through 13 of our passage this morning. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know that the things freely given to us know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. We know from Scripture that there is a secret and holy language spoken in heaven that we as sinful humans have no right or hope to utter. Paul would write in his second recorded letter to the Corinthian church that he was caught up into paradise, the third heaven, and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. 
We'll see when we get to these verses in 1 Corinthians uh, chapters 12 through 14 that the interpretation of the gift of tongues written about in those chapters do not refer to a, whole, a heavenly, holy, or angelic language because of what Paul says in this verse in 2 Corinthians. So if there's a language spoken in heaven and we as humans are not permitted to speak it, how does the Holy Spirit get across the depths of the wisdom of God he's chosen to reveal to us? Well, that's the question that Paul addresses here in verses 12 through 13. Paul first compares the spirit of the world that is that human wisdom that he's already contrasted with God's wisdom in the second half of chapter 1 and first section of chapter 2 with the spirit of God. <clears throat> the wisdom of God cannot and will not be communicated by the Holy Spirit in a purely human way of understanding things. Paul's already made that abundantly clear and this is no exception. Therefore, the wisdom of God is not simply knowledge that we as humans acquire through books, philosophy, and opening ourselves up to the secrets of the universe or through scientific exploration. It was designed to be impossible that way. It is not simply knowledge we acquire, but a person we acquire. It's not simply knowledge we acquire, but a person we acquire. We can only have the wisdom of God communicated to us through the person who thoroughly knows and understands it, literally making a home within us, within the deepest part of us. Iron Man is not Iron Man without Tony Stark inside of him, right? No, he's just a hunk of junk. It takes Tony Stark indwelling the Iron Man suit to make it do anything, right? We will never have any of the depths of God's wisdom revealed to us unless the Holy Spirit, the one who does the revealing, literally indwelling us and opening it up to us. Now, this is done in words taught by the Spirit, as Paul says in verse 13. Where does that start? Right here. This is where it starts, with words taught by the Spirit. Words literally taught by the Spirit to those who would say them and write them down. Paul would write to Timothy, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That word for inspired in the Greek, right over here, that word for inspired in the Greek, according to one biblical scholar, is likely a term that Paul coined himself. Words, uh, it, it did not exist in the Greek language before that point, before Paul coined that term. Let's see what it looks like in the Greek. Who wants to take a crack at pronouncing that? Theopneostos. It is a combination, very good, it is a combination of theos, or God, which the term theology is derived from, the study of God, and yeo, or breathed out. So the term inspired in all scripture is inspired is literally God breathed out. How? This is really cool for those who haven't seen this yet. Yeo is the same word that this other word, pneuma, meaning spirit, comes from. 
These two words are so closely aligned in the Greek that they're played off of each other all throughout the New Testament, including here, where Paul obviously meant that God breathed out the Scripture by way of the Spirit, by way of the Holy Spirit. And how did the Holy Spirit work to, as Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 2.13, combine spiritual thoughts with spiritual words? Well, the Apostle Peter wrote, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. They didn't just come up with it by themselves, through their own human wisdom. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, through human wisdom, but men moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. The word moved in the Greek was used primarily to describe a ship on the ocean being borne along by a mighty and rushing wind. And there's that connection between the Holy Spirit and breath or wind again. Can you control a sailboat when there's mighty rushing wind? Not really. You just go with what direction the mighty rushing wind is going in, right? What's doing the controlling? The mighty rushing wind on that sailboat. One biblical scholar even pointed out that it's the same word used in Acts 2.2 when we read, And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. Same word. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Violent rushing wind. Same word used as men moved by the Holy Spirit. And what's described in Acts 2? Anybody know? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In other words, while the Bible writers use their own writing styles to pen down the words of Scripture, the Holy Spirit worked with them to write down exactly the words He wanted them to write down in exactly the way He wanted them to write them down. So as believers, we can rest assured that the words of Scripture are basically given by the one, again, who thoroughly and completely and accurately knows and understands the depths of the wisdom of God and communicated them to us. Well, like we see elsewhere in Scripture, someone whose eyes are not opened by that same agent and have him indwelling them and associating with them will not understand them. That's also where the Holy Spirit, combining spiritual words with spiritual thoughts, comes in. Someone who God has not chosen to reveal himself to will simply not understand the word of God. It's only through the teaching of the Holy Spirit, combining those spiritual words with spiritual thoughts, that we can start to open our knowledge and understanding of Almighty God through his word. In addition, there may be times when the Holy Spirit, again, fully acquainted with the perfect will of God, will move in your heart to make a certain change or help someone out in the name of Jesus or share the gospel with a specific person or go to a certain place or do a certain thing. That's why it's so extremely important to not have any walls up in between you and the Holy Spirit and to be as open and sensitive to the Spirit's leading as possible. And this is why. If the one who has full and complete knowledge of the perfect will of God is indwelling you and leading you, don't you want to be in full communion with that one? We have insider knowledge, so to speak. Why shouldn't we take full advantage of it? 
Why should we let anything come in between that or make that fuzzy? Of course we obey God's commands for our lives out of love for what he's done for us. But one major blessing goes along with that, and that is clear and unmuddied communication with the one who knows the depths and riches of the will of God and wants to divulge that information to us. See, it's one thing to understand this relationship we have with the Holy Spirit up here. And it's even one thing to understand it here. And it's quite another thing to let it change our lives. It's quite another to not just nod at it and say, yeah, that makes sense. But let it make things right in our life. Let it lead you to take those radical steps to live a life more in line with what God wants for us. Let it lead us to let go of things that are harmful to our spiritual growth and let it lead us to make commitments to what will be beneficial to our spiritual growth. I want to end our time with a passage that we went through may seem a long time ago at this point. Galatians chapter 5, and we read, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. If we live by the spirit, let us also walk, live for, communicate openly by the spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage in your word. We often glance at it. We often read quickly through it, say, well, that didn't make any sense, and just keep going on to the next verses. Lord, that you were deep spiritual thoughts as you had in your words. Deep spiritual words. Lord, we thank you that if we just do a little bit of digging, not only can we understand your word, but we can understand greatly who you are in the Trinity. Lord, we thank you for the truth and the power of your word. We thank you that as your word tells us, it is living and active. It's not just words, things that we understand, but Lord, that it's living and it makes changes in our hearts. So Lord, I pray that we would open ourselves up to you, that we would open ourselves up to your spirit, who knows intimately and accurately and thoroughly the will of God, that we may tear down any walls we put up in between us and the Holy Spirit, and we may may get what needs to be gotten right with you, so that we can have full and open communication with that spirit. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me as we close out our time this morning.